Lord, we ask your blessing this morning upon the reading of the word. We ask, Lord, that you would open up to our hearts and to our minds the truth of your gospel. Help us in the midst of storms and trials of life to trust in you and to walk by faith and not by sight. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. There's a university in California, in Orange County, California, called Chapman University. For the last 10 years, they have done a study on fear. And uh, every year, in late October, they put together a survey telling us what the top 10 fears of Americans are. And I don't have the list in front of me. I'm telling you this because it's the basis for my next sermon series, which is going to start next Sunday. Um, but, but the number one fear last year, and actually for the last three years, however, uh, the fear has dropped in its percentage point in the last year. But the top fear, um, and I can tell you what some of the fears were, there were things like uh, China launching something at us, North Korea launching a nuclear missile, war breaking out, world war breaking out in the world, uh, someone we love dying or someone we love seriously getting ill. But the number one fear, strangely enough, is a fear that our government will become so corrupt that it will turn on us. Isn't that odd? Hang on to your seats, because actually today's message is a stand-in, if you would, to the next five messages I'm going to present on our fears. This one actually didn't make the cut for the series, so you're hearing it today. One night we were here for a meeting at the church, and Aaron was doing his custodial duties after the preschool had uh, closed, and we were up in the meeting room having a meeting. It was during the pandemic. I know that because some of us were at home and had joined online via Zoom, and Aaron came in and said, we've got a problem. We've got a leak, and we went running down the hall to find out. You may or may not know this, but up in that bell tower out there, the highest part of the building, there's a piece of machinery called an air handler that blows heat around certain locations in this building. And there's uh, water, steam water, that goes up through those pipes and, and gets heated up and blown out. And one of the pipes had broken, and it was coming down through that bell tower, down the wall, down the steps, through the lights, running all over the place. And I only use that as an illustration this morning to say to you, you can never tell what's going to happen next, right? Things like that happen. This morning, I got up about, well, actually, I was up about 3.30, and when I went and looked at our service for today, I had no clue that when we got here and turned it on, that we'd have a problem with the sound on the music. Those things sometimes happen. But sometimes they're just leaky pipes, and sometimes they're just the nuisance of technology, and sometimes they're far more serious than that. Last Monday night, and I haven't watched Monday Night Football in forever, but last Monday night, I am watching Monday Night Football, really had no interest in the Bills and the Bengals, but I'm watching it, and I saw what happened uh, to Mar Hamlin. And you'll see on the screen, even though I can't read it from here, I texted my son Nate, and I said, are you watching football? And he said, no. This is terrible. My eyes are bad. 
I said, he said, not this second, why? And I said, I think a Bengal just got killed. Now, obviously, you know, I had that wrong. It was a bill. No kidding. And after I said no kidding, he said, seriously. And I said, yeah. He hit a receiver. He went to the ground. He stood up and went back down. They'd been doing CPR for 10 minutes. Nate says, oh, geez, that's not good. Are they airing it? And I said, yeah, 24 years old, Hamlin. And my spell corrector made DeMar Marvin for some reason. Bill's player I met, good night. He said, that's crazy. I don't think I've ever seen that before, have you? And I said, never. I hope he's not dead. So sad. He was dead. <laughs> they brought him back to life. He was dead. That quick. The Hagen Love football team, if you've seen the video of it, you could have never predicted that that was going to happen to him in that moment. Jesus and his disciples have loaded themselves up into a boat. And I know I just read it to you, but I want to read it to you again and focus on some things you may not have caught as we read through it. I know the print's small. I apologize for that. On that day, when evening came, think about it. It's getting late in the day. You want to go home. You want to get it over. It's getting dark out. And Jesus says, I'd like to go across to the other side. And so they get away from the crowd, and they take him in the boat just as he was. I don't know for sure what that means, but they just got him into the boat. And there were other boats with them. That kind of adds to the story. Because not only did the crowds follow him when he's out in the dust and the dirt and rode, now he's on the water and there's more boats with him surrounding his boat. And this great windstorm pops up out of nowhere. And the waves begin to come over top of the boat. And the boat begins to fill. And Jesus is in the stern, lying asleep on a pillow. And they went down, and they woke him up. And they said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the sea. He said to them, Peace be still. The wind ceased, the great calm came. He said, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And they said to each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. You know, there's some things that stand out to me when I read that the second time. I'm not sure what just as he was meant, but he was just as he was. When you're at home, are you just as you are? When you're in your not caring what other people think about or see, and you're just as you are? You know, these days people go to Walmart in their pajamas. They go just as they are. It drives me batty. Just as he was, he gets into this boat. And there's all these other boats that are gathered around. You ever been in the water with other boats close to you when a storm comes up? You're now not only what fighting the water, but you're fighting each other, trying to keep from hitting each other. And they didn't have motors. And the waves begin to come over top of the boat. And it says when the waves were coming over the tops of the boat, the boat was actually already filling with water. And Jesus, for some reason, is downstairs asleep on the cushion. 
they wake him up. And when he wakes up, he goes up and says to the wind and to the sea, Peace, be still. And it says the wind stopped and everything became so very calm. You know, the Psalms talk a little bit about what calm is like when God calms the storm. It says in Psalm 65, 7, He stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, the tumult of the people. I don't know about you, but I've not seen a time when God calmed a storm outside of my house, outside of where I live. But the psalmist seemed to detect that he had experienced that. He says in another place, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. The psalmist seems to know something about God's ability to calm the storm that I've got to tell you, I've not yet experienced. In Psalm 93, 4, it says, The thunders of many waters, he is mightier than. He's mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. There's something going on here that we miss, I think, that we need to recognize. We need to recognize, I guess, that God has that ability to say, peace be still to the storms, and they were still. That when God says, peace be still, a storm can stop. And that which was here a minute ago and was so seemingly dangerously powerful and uncontrollable, God can still. Now, all of us have heard this before. I went and did a check, and since I've been at Westbrook Park Church, I have preached on Mark 4, 35 to 41 at least four times. Just think about how many sermons and Sunday school lessons you heard before you met me. But you've got to put it into context for a minute. In Mark chapter 4, there's a lot of something going on, and I'll tell you what it is. You can go check in your Bible and check on me if I'm telling you the truth. First thing is in Mark 4 is the parable of the sower. Do you remember that sower? The sower went out to sow, and he's sowing seed, and it lands in all these different kind of soils. There's the parable of no one putting their light under a bushel, but rather leaving it so all the world can see the light. There's the, the parable of the mustard seed, that little seed that when it grows up, it becomes something big. All of these parables begin with something that applies to this storm because they surround this story that Mark wants us to see. And it has to do with the kingdom of God, because he says things like this. The kingdom of God is like a sower that went out to sow. The kingdom of God is like a light that's hid underneath a bushel, but then it gets uncovered. A, uh, uh, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which though it's so small, it grows into something really big. You see, this storm has something to do with what the kingdom of God is about as well. And right here in the middle of these parables about the kingdom of God, Jesus says, I want to cross the sea, the, the lake. And when they cross the lake, the storm comes up. And when the waves are coming in over the boat and Jesus is asleep in the bottom, they wake him up and he gets up and he stills the storm. Something to do with the kingdom. Think about those parables for a minute. When, when Jesus is alone in this chapter, Mark chapter 4, the disciples come to him. And they say to him, what's this about, these stories you're telling us? What do these parables mean? 
Jesus says this. Listen, church, real close. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Stop. Talking about parables, talking about the kingdom of God. And they ask, what's this about? We don't get it. And he says, I've given it to you. You've been given the secret of the kingdom. But to those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive. That they may indeed hear them but not understand. Here's what the kingdom looks like in light of this story, church. I want you to think about the most difficult evil that you have ever experienced. Because that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about the seed. To anybody that was alive at his time, your worst fears were not height, they were not fire, they were the seed. there on the sea, their worst fear became a reality. A storm blows up. And Jesus comes out from underneath the boat and says, peace be still. And the storm stills and everything becomes calm. And Jesus says, that's what this kingdom's like. You, most of you, have known me long enough to know that one of my favorite passages of Scripture is in Colossians chapter 1. And I want to read it to you. It's Colossians 1, 15 to 20. It talks about who Jesus is. Listen close, and then you'll understand. I'll tell you why I've got it here right now. It says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all of creation. By him all things were created, everything in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. They were all created through him and for him. And he is before all these things. And in him all these things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he would have the preeminence. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross paul has just said to us that when you see jesus you see god when you see jesus you see the one that created it all when you see jesus you see the one whose idea it was and for whom it was made and when you see jesus you see the one that keeps it from just exploding upon itself when you see Jesus, you've seen God. So is it any wonder that he comes out from down in the bottom of the ship and he says, peace be still. The key verse in Colossians 1, that passage I just read is this. By him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. They were all created through him and for him. Jesus is God, and calming this storm is not all that big of a deal. With three words, he stopped a hurricane. With three words, he stopped a tornado. With no words at all, he could have done it if he chose, because when you look at Jesus, you're looking at God. You're looking at the Creator. But what he did really isn't what the story's about, because if you listen to the story as we read it this morning, 
after the storm is still, Jesus has a question for them. Their question to him was this, don't you care that we're perishing? Can I tell you something? Monday night, when Damar Hamlin fell down on that field, isn't it odd that every NFL player and coach on that field found themselves on their knees? Isn't that odd? Because we've been told as a society for the last 10 years that you're not supposed to do that. We've been told, uh-uh, 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 not in public. You keep your faith inside that prayer closet and don't come out. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. There's no time for God in the midst of our world right now. We're crying out loud, we're... We're kneeling when we're standing and standing when we're supposed to be kneeling. We've got everything flipped in this world upside down to where we don't know what's going on. And Jesus, in the bottom of the boat, gets woken up. I mean, it finally gets bad enough that somebody goes and shakes him and says, Hey, don't you care about what's going on out here? I wouldn't have been surprised if Jesus would have said, If you don't care, I don't care. But he didn't say that. He gets up and he comes upstairs and he says, peace, be still. They said, don't you care? Listen to what he asks them. Why were you afraid? Have you no faith? And that gets me to my bottom line. My what if is God's why not. Now let me explain that bottom line to you this morning. You may or may not be like me. If you know me, you know how I can be. I worry that the sound is not going to come on on the music so much that I wake up at 4 in the morning on Sunday to be sure everything's in order. I worry when it's snowing outside that one of my children is going to get blown away in some horrendous car accident that the whole world's going to come to an end. I worry that when there's only 15 of us in church on Sunday, that we aren't going to be able to make it to the next Sunday. I worry that the sky is falling when it's a beautiful, sunshiny day. That's just who I am. And in that regard, I am no different than those 12 disciples on that boat with Jesus that day when the storm blew in. Don't you care? We're dying out here. And Jesus says, why are you afraid? Where's your faith? You see, Jesus' question is actually, don't you yet have faith? I, I just taught you what to expect from those parables I told you. If you throw your seed, it's going to grow no matter where it's at. If you light your candle, it's going to be seen no matter what the circumstance. And if you just have enough faith like a little mustard seed, you'll be so shocked at what the possibilities become. And this faith in you is what will bring God's kingdom to bear on this earth through others, through people like you, to others, through people like you who believe. You know what the parables mean. That's why I told them to you. They don't get it yet. But you know what the parables mean. The outsiders, they hear the parables, but they don't get it because they don't have faith. You've got faith. You've been following me for three years. 
making that storm settle down is nothing. That's child's play. Do you know that greater things than I've done you're going to do? Church, I wonder what would happen if people like us, believers in Jesus, actually lived into our storm. Actually lived into our storm. And really met what we say we believe. I think the kingdom might show up. I mean, we didn't pray it today, but we pray every Sunday on earth as it is in heaven. Disciples, don't you yet have faith? That storm is just a piece of what I've been preparing you for. Not only is the storm going to come, not only are the pipes going to break, not only is the sickness going to arrive, not only is death going to come to your doorstep, not only is all of your worst fears really going to be a possibility, but get this, you're going to have the faith to overcome it. Where's your faith? You're going to say to the storm, be still, and it'll chill. It's not about what I did, church, Jesus is saying. It's about who I am. It's not about what I've done in stilling the storm. It's about what you believe about what I can do with the storm. I can get you through the storm. I can give you the faith to prepare for the storm. And I can also give you the faith that will grow when the storm's gone by. Mark wrote down this story because he wanted people like you and me People who are fearful and frightened. People who may today sail into the storm of our lifetime. He wanted people like us to find our faith in Jesus. He wants us to wake up our Jesus in the storm. He wants us to question Jesus' seeming lack of concern for us. But then he wants us not to be angry with Jesus, but to trust Jesus. afraid do you still not have faith you see all of our what us what ifs and the fears that we have hinder our ability to see what God can do and our what what ifs are actually his why nots when I was a kid <clears throat> I, I got an older brother who who is very well off and he's been saying things and posting things. He's reached the point where he's getting ready to retire and all that stuff. And so he's looking back at his career and people are giving him awards and all this stuff, you know, and he's making statements and interviews and stuff in his world about where he's been. And he keeps pointing back to our childhood about how poor we were. Can I tell you something? I never thought I was poor. <laughs> in his mind, he thinks we were poor. I suppose we were. Him and I shared a bedroom probably more than anything that helped me to become a Christian was living with him for 18 years of my life. But anyway, um, we shared a bedroom. My other two brothers shared actually a hallway bedroom. And my sister got her own bedroom. And I'll never forget, we're going to bed one night. My sister wasn't in bed yet. And my brother Danny says, watch this. <laughs> Goes across the hall to her bedroom, gets underneath her bed, Pushed the headboard out from the wall just about this much. And Danny was a real skinny guy. And he gets under the bed and he waits. I don't know how much time passed. I can't remember. 
But she comes in, shuts the light off, and crawls into bed. Probably a middle-aged teenager, you know, 14, 15-year-old, something like that. Daddy's girl. And just when she was getting ready to fall asleep, my brother starts coming up that back wall, pushing himself up. I want to tell you, you never saw anybody run or scream like that girl in your life. And I won't go any further to tell you what my father did because that's not fit for us for church right now but my sister's worst fear came true there was something under her bed climbing up the wall what if there's something under the bed for you today what if there's something under the bed for you this week need you run need you scream at God how angry you are that he doesn't care What about if you just decide that, well, I believe in him so much, the God of the ages, who created it all, sustains it all, and keeps it all going. What if I just trust him enough that he'll get me through it, one way or another, because I walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. Church, that's your message today. We're going to sing together. How great is our God. I heard it playing when I came down the steps this morning, so some of you have heard this already. Let's sing it together and then we'll pray.